Hi, it's Peter Vesey. You're listening to Double Clutch Podcast. Don't believe anything these guys say. It's nothing like the first time, is it, Doc? No, it's nothing like the first time. And, and with our, with my first NBA championship, scoring seven points in a row to seal the deal, um, you were really good to me then. <laughs> you were good really, to me, I too. Really, I really didn't want to take that shot from the top of the key. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for Big Moses, and uh, they had three guys on them. 83 Sixers, one of the greatest teams of all time. I think it was the best of all time. Hello and welcome to episode 76 of the Double Clutch podcast. I'm Matthew Bates and along with me, I think he only comes out when they're doing well and there's some big news for them, but we've got Andy D, the big Spurs fan. Hello. I'm, I'm here when they're losing as well. <laughs> when do they lose? Uh, it, it's, it's a rare occasion, you know, it does happen. It happened twice in the finals. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, very bad, bad timing as well. <laughs> the team lost. It, anyway, just, it was just convenient that I wasn't in the country when they lost to talk about it with you. Maybe a bad luck. <laughs> Maybe every time you're in the country, they win. That's it. So for June, I need to speak to my boss and say I'm staying. <laughs> staying put. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure if you give the NBA Finals as a reason, he'll be more than happy to make, make you stay. I hope so. <laughs> right, well, we haven't been, we haven't had a show for quite a while, so we're just going to quickly recap the Eastern and Western Conference Finals in a, a very broad way because we're not, we can't really go game by game because we'd be here pretty much all night. But we'll start off with the Eastern Conference where the Miami Heat have prevailed and they'll head into their fourth NBA Finals when they beat the Indiana Pacers 4-2. Fourth consecutive final as well. They're tired, aren't they, with the Celtics and the Lakers for only, uh, I think it's the third or fourth team ever to do it. Yeah, I th- yeah, especially in the modern era. That's, obviously, the Celtics in the 60s or whatever went to baz- a bazillion or whatever, but <laughs> when basketball actually mattered, they're the, they're, they're the only teams. But uh, what did you take away from this series? Do you think, I think one of the main things I took away from this series is the Heat look, don't look as comfortable as they did last year going into the finals. No, I think, uh, you know, you, you and Matt covered it off quite well in, in the last show where you said that, uh, the, the paces were, were beat, uh, you know, put together to beat the heat. Whereas as much as they didn't do that, they showed you how well they've come along in the, in this last year. So, you know, I feel sorry for them because that's what the last two or three, I think it is, that is, they've lost to the heat in the conference final. So you got to start feeling for them. Um, but I, I'm reckoning that this was the, the toughest one for the Heat, even though that, that game six ultimately was a bit of a blowout in the, was it the second or third quarter where they just went? Yeah, it was over, it was over insane. early. It was over yeah. early. And that, that, that was unfortunate. There, there were a couple of fouls and, and key turning points in a few games that the Pacers lost. But, you know, ultimately the, the better team did go through, had, Everybody been playing for Indiana how they did at the start of the season. It may have been a different result, but you're right that the Heat, the Heat looked fragile. You know, Ray Allen wasn't doing. They didn't get the production off the bench that they normally get. LeBron was it? He had single figures in Game Five. When when was the last time LeBron had a single figures game? Probably the last time he got into foul trouble like he did like in that Game Five, but. Even so, when you are the best player in the world, you always expect him to score at least double figures. Yeah. But, yeah, I think 
more to the point what you said, like the bench is probably one of their biggest production. Like, you know, Bosch, Wade and LeBron, you're going to win and lose by them because when they perform, it's lights out. But I'm more concerned with your Ray Allens, like you said, especially on defensive end. He's not, he's not a, as young as he used to be. He's not as quick as he used to be. And especially when we, we'll go into the preview later, but just to mention when they, he goes against like Patty, Patty Mills or Juan Leonard, or if he's got in them, he's going to, they're just going to blow right by him. But I think they're missing like Mike Miller from last year. Because Mike Miller has had a good productive season, especially for the Grizzlies this year. And last year he was one of the key components. Like he hit like an ins- he well he hit a three without a shoe on at one point in the finals last year. I think they're missing someone like that because Shane Battier is literally playing the last games of his career. And I I just think I just think the bench may let them down. But in this series, I think LeBron didn't really go off on one, which I think everyone waited for him to like go crazy, especially after. Lance Stevenson, who we'll get to in a bit, was go, uh, was doing some other things than basketball plays on him. I I think that he was going to go off, and he didn't. So maybe in the finals we might not see, or we may see a LeBron game, which is very scary for any Spurs fan. It's it's going to happen. It's the same that you're going to see a Westbrook game. You know, it's the same where in, on any given moment on any given night, one of those three players can come up big. You know when. When Bron isn't feeling it, you've got Bosch nailing it from beyond the arc. And then when the two of those aren't going, you've got Dwayne Wade. So it's, I was going to say you got Greg Oden, but you know, <laughs> he's got to holding up a trophy, I guess. <laughs> um, but it's when, when you've got three impact players like that, as much as they, they can all be effective, but on any given moment, one of them can just get red hot. And then when that happens, it, it's a different ball game. It really is. Yeah. Uh, I'm not that concerned about Wade, especially in this series. I thought he played very well against Indiana. I thought maybe the whole how Spoelstra has like sat him throughout the years probably the best thing for him. Um, I think he's he's at that age where he needs a lot of rest, and I think Spoelstra's doing a very good job with him in in a similar vein as what Pop is doing with the Spurs. You know, he's resting at every opportunity that he can get, and and Wade's going to need that, and also. Wade doesn't need to try as hard when you've got LeBron, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest. No, it was Wade carrying him before James came along. And because he's there, he doesn't need to work as hard. But then he also needs to be warm enough that if Bron isn't doing it mm-hmm. for whatever reason, like in that game five, Wade needed to take over and he wasn't ready enough to take over when Bron wasn't feeling mm-hmm. Yeah, another member of the Big Three, Chris Bosch, in this series. He started off pretty... He didn't really start off very well. I, he's admitted that, and quite a lot of people have come out from the Heat organization and said that Chris Bosch isn't the best. He isn't at his best against Indiana. Indiana defend him pretty well. But he also came out saying that he doesn't want to bang anymore. So he wants to be like a spot-up shooter or um, a mid-range player, like a stretch four. Now, which I think may cause quite a few problems with the Spurs. I know we're previewing it here, but I think it may cause a few problems with the Spurs because they have big, big, uh, big, big, big men. Not they have a very traditional centre and power forward in Duncan and Splitter. But Bosch in this series, I think when he he's always going to be the X factor for the Heat. When he, when he's going, everything goes so so smoothly for them, which we saw in the later games of this series against Indiana. You, you're right. He he's probably you know one of the most underrated players and we've said that for the majority of the season you know that, that's nothing new there but 
it's it's one of those mentality things that you you need to you need to guard for that. We've already said that you know everyone's referring this and comparing it to last year, and rightfully so. It's the same players, it's the the same teams in the finals, but Ray Allen isn't posing as much of a threat this season as he did last season. So you know you need to defend that a little bit different. Chalmers as well, he's been blowing hot and cold for me. He turned the ball over far too much when mm. Paul George was on him. Um, Batia, you've already said he's, he's very physical. You, you've touched on Stevenson and, you know, we can, we can talk about the ding dong that those two had. And it's, it's a tricky one because they need to have the big three producing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Clicking so on all songs. If, yeah. With, with Bosch, you know, he's, he's effective at pretty much any spot on the floor, but, he is definitely a rhythm shooter. If he's not in rhythm, then you know he's going to drive for the paint. And that's one of the good things that the Spurs are very confident of doing is defending the paint. So from that point of view, you're right. If Bosch isn't feeling his jump shot, then I reckon Splitter and Duncan will probably have the paint guarded pretty well. Yeah, very true. Uh, before we go on to the Spurs series, we'll talk a little bit about Indiana. And obviously, the main talking point for Indiana in this series was Lance Stevenson and how and what he was doing, his extracurricular activity with LeBron James. You saw him blowing in his ear at one point. Uh, he slapped him on the, gave him a little cheeky slap at another, and just really being a general annoyance. And it is his contract year. Yeah, yeah, he's he's going to be. Free, unrestricted free agent, isn't he, at the end of the season? So, um, I'm not too sure what he was trying to do. He was, he was interfering with huddles. He was, he was flopping all over the place along with Hibbert. You know, I, I'm not too sure what he was trying to achieve. But, you know, as much as he dished it out, he took it as well. There was a few occasions where LeBron was up in his face to the point of he was shooting a couple of threes, and LeBron was actually hand on his face. Not in his face, it was actually on his face. But I think the highlight for me was Battier just giving him a right big dig with the elbow that nobody <laughs> caught. And, you know, if you're going to dish that sort of stuff out, you, you need to, you know, take it on the other end. But it was good to see LeBron and Stevenson hugging it out and chatting mm. at the end. So, you know, as, as much as... During that, you had all those sort of antics going on. And I, I think it wasn't so much mind games. It was just a case of trying to get the players out of their rhythm. And because they couldn't defend LeBron, you needed to think outside of the box, you know, and blowing in his ear, hugging him. Dennis Rodman used yeah. to do that a lot for the Bulls. Mm-hmm. He went to the point of actually manhandling a few players and touching <laughs> them in places that you wouldn't want to be touched by another bloke. So uh, I don't know whether or not Stevenson was, was looking at those old Rodman videos and seeing how well that he'd done. But you're right, he was just trying to be an annoyance and he couldn't defend within the rules and the confines of the game that he needed to think a little bit differently. Yeah, well, you're very true when you when you uh, talked about Rodman. One of the, the first full finals I saw was the 98 finals and what he was doing to Carl Malone was... <laughs> was unprecedented. He just like I remember. There's there's one exchange when I think Rodman goes down and he just literally drags Carmelo, who is not a, who is not a small man by any means. He just drags him down and just like lays on top of him, just so he won't make it back to the uh, like the Jazz were going to be on offense, and he just like sat on him so he just wouldn't be in the offense. 
which was just very Rodman like. But uh, just going back to Stevenson, I think his uh, I think his value has decreased quite a bit from these antics and stuff. But I never really think that he was going to sign anywhere else but back with Indiana. And Indiana know no obviously know him more than any other team. So I still think they'll give him a reasonable amount of money just because. I think they. I think if there's one organization I thought going into this season that could handle it would probably be the Pacers with Larry Bird in in the GM position. But I'm guessing now after they've had a bit of a meltdown, it may be a little bit more. I don't know. They might be a bit more. They might be thinking a bit more because if Stevenson's ignited this collapse off the court, then maybe he might be bad for chemistry. That's that's a good point. I'm I'm not too sure where he would go. Yeah. What what team would want him you you're right when you're saying his antics hasn't helped um but then he's a good fit when he when he's playing well you know he does play good offense with the paces and i'm not too sure where he would fit in you know i don't know who else would pick him or what teams would be keen for a player like that you know i I don't know if, if maybe the Mavericks or maybe Golden State could do with somebody like him, mm-hmm. just just to add a little bit of size and presence. But no, you, you're right. I can, I can see him testing the water for free agencies, but he'll probably re-sign. Yeah. Well, they have his bird. They have his bird rights, so they can match anything that anyone offers them. And the only people that, I can imagine if New York threw a load of money at him because he is from New York, then they'd probably say no. But that's really about that's really about it. But anyway, we're not here to talk about someone that blows in someone's ear. We'll go on to the Western Conference Finals, which ended with the uh, San Antonio Spurs making their second appearance in two years to the finals, where they beat the Oklahoma City four games to two. Uh, it's it started it started pretty well for the Spurs. They won the first two games at home, blew blew the uh, Thunder out, and then Serge Ibaka came. He just pops up from an injury. Like yeah, he's healthy. And the, the Thunder won the next two in their building with Serge, ignited by Serge, to tie it 2-2. And then the Spurs just took care of business in the game five and six. You're right. And and it shows you how much of a player and how much of an impact that loss for um, for the Thunder was with the back. We, we had mentioned it when he first went down with the injury. And to go out and, and lose collectively by about 40 points over those first two games, you know, that's really unheard of for this Thunder team. But then Ibaka comes back, and before you know it, Tony Parker is getting closed down left, right, and center in the paint, and Ibaka is doing his thing. And, uh, you know, he, he's, on any given day, arguably one of the best, if not top three, defenders in the league. And when you lose a player like that, it's, it's big, you know. As much as they've got Perkins... <laughs> he's he's not the greatest defender. He, even in his prime, he wasn't. But then, this is this is what I like about Popovich and, and the way he analyzes the, the, the plays and the teams, etc. Is that you see how well Barker dominates the paint on the defensive end. So you adjust your lineup so you don't have much presence in the paint, and you make Serge come out of his comfort zone. And in games five and six, watching him try and rush out to the perimeter and defend a jump shot, he was so far out of his comfort zone. And to top that up, I thought it was an excellent move by Pop in game six to play Bonner from the start. Uh Now, he didn't do anything other than disrupt Surge. 
You know, they pulled, it made Surge come out of the paint, which freed up Parker and Leonard to go through and drive the paint as they can do. And I just thought it was a genius play by Pop, but whether or not he's shown his hand too much with what they can do with their heat, I'm not too sure. But it just goes to show you that if you look at somebody like Sergi Barker as how great of a defender he is, he's always going to have a weakness. And he needs to do the same with the heat. They would have learned a lot and still be hurting a lot from last year's finals. Yeah, very true. I, that's one of the reasons I think it... That the reason the Spurs won was because I think Popovich just outmatched Scott Brooks. Like Scott Brooks, he is a good coach and that, but he's not—he's not an elite coach. He's not Greg Popovich, who is a—he's just an assassin on the sidelines, really, when it comes to stuff like this. And what you said with Bonner was exactly—yeah, he didn't score any points or anything, but the threat of him there made the made the Thunder crap the pants and thought, well, we can't—we don't want to get him going. So we're gonna to have to put hand. We're gonna to have to be pretty close to him. But if he does get the ball, we're not gonna give him an open three. Uh, Tony Parker didn't have the best series. He kind of tweaked his ankle in the third game and then reaggravated it in the fourth and then the fifth game and then eventually in the he, he aggravated it so much in the sixth that he actually had to sit at, sit down for the second half. Is this a worry? It is a massive worry if he doesn't play. But even a half Tony Parker is that still all right for the Spurs? Well, the the thing is, even in these finals, you know, he's he's played through the majority of the playoffs with some sort of niggling injury. But somehow, on the night, he turns it on. But we we don't know how injured he is or how much of an impact that's going to have. And, you know, if we can have a 75% fit Tony Parker, then you need to play him because he is such an important key. Uh-huh. To, to the San Antonio and to the way they run their offense because as much as Paddy Mills is, is getting there, he's not, he's not a Parker, no. if that makes sense. You know, normally when Parker needs a rest, Mills is coming on and he's getting it done. He, he didn't score a single point in that, in that last game. So I, I think he will be there as and when he develops, but Parker, if you lose Parker, Duncan and Ginobili, for, for any sort of significant period of time, then, you know, that is, that's a big blow, even though, you know, the production off the bench is just what the Spurs, I, I don't want to say rely on, but it is a key part to their game and to their game plan. You know, Diaw in that particular last game, he hasn't done much this playoffs, but that was his game, you know, more than anybody else's on. It was a great team display. But Diaw in particular, because of that rotation with Bonner, he was getting a lot of looks and a lot of open space, and he actually capitalised on that, which was actually quite good to see. Yeah. When it comes to the bench with me, when I watch the Spurs, Spurs bench perform, I I know this sounds daft, but I forget that it's the bench because you, they put, they call the exact same plays and the same like positional play, players. So like Paddy Mills being the guard, he'll always be where Parker is in the setup in an offence. It's, I just find it really, really weird. Like Danny Green, you can mix and ma- um, you can really mix and match with like Bellinelli sometimes. Bellinelli looks like a Danny Green because he'll always be in the same spots. He'll always have the, they always have the same shots in the same spots. So I always find it I always find it weird. But that just shows you what a great system and what a great coach the Spurs have. But and that, that's you know, right, you know, and and I think that's one of the key things. Pop doesn't go out and pick up any particular player. He, he looks to have players with similar attributes for the, the same sort of position. So 
comparing Bellinelli to, to Bonner, for example, you know, you're right. They, they don't offer overly much other than the three point shot, but you can put the two of them on and then instantly you've got threat. But on the flip side of that coin, the opposition knows that they're one trick ponies as well. That was gonna, that was my but comment, so. Yeah, we've, we've, we've covered that both together. We'll take, I will take dual <laughs> pair of ships on that. But, um, before we get into the finals, let's just talk a little bit about the Thunder. Kevin, Kevin Durant in this series, I don't really think he played MVP Kevin Durant. And that could be a number of reasons. I think Kawhi Leonard played incredible defense on him, made every shot hard for him. Like there was no real easy shots. And and another th- another thing, I think I didn't think in their losses they didn't get out on the break as much as they did in their wins. The, the points off turnovers was down, the fast break points was down, and that was really the key on how the Thunder should have really beaten Spurs. But obviously, once again, that's pop, that's a system that stops that. But it's now they went to the finals in two thousand and twelve, yeah, two thousand and twelve, where they lost to the Heat. Now, are the are the question marks on this roster like? I definitely think they need a lot more better bench production, and I think they need to upgrade like Fabio Cephalosha and maybe get another more established wing coming off the bench because Karan Butler is a bit old, and Jeremy Lan and Perry Jones the third aren't there yet. So, what do you think about going in going into this off season for the Thunder, and how do you think they could really well get better because they're still one step away? They've got actually gone a step back in the last two years. Yeah, I would say that. You know, you, you've hit you hit on the, the key point. They're a couple of players away from having an effective team because it's it's all about Durant and Westbrook. Yeah. Um, you know, games three and four was all about Westbrook. You know, he had ridiculous numbers in those particular two games. But then Pop made his adjustments and he slowed down the fast break. You know, how many times have you seen Westbrook drive into the paint? So you've got Splitter and Duncan just closing off the paint and making Westbrook take contested jumpers or looking for that additional pass, giving the Spurs the opportunity for the turnover. So that that was the tactical side of it. But then if you take out Durant and Westbrook out of that Oklahoma City team, that you don't really have consistent numbers from the other players. Now, Abarca isn't the greatest offensive presence. He is a key defender. So you're never going to get huge numbers from him of the offensive end. You know, you had Derek Fisher, who must be, what, 150 by now? <laughs> Great playing <biceps> over <laughs> Playing over 30-odd minutes, you know, and I don't think he's worked that hard since he was at LA. And it's just one of those things that they, they do need a couple of key players. Who those key players are, though, I'm, I'm not too sure. You, you know, we, we always go back and, and talk about, should they got rid of Harden? No, they shouldn't have. Because when they need that production off the bench, he was that production player. If you look at Manu, he doesn't start many games, but he's that impact player off the bench, and that's what the Thunder need. Uh, yeah, I think as as well as that, I think they need, like my, Miami got when they started winning championships, they got veteran veteran players that come in and play a role. So like as I said before, you've got Shane Battier, Mike Miller, Ray Allen, veteran players that can only pretty much do one thing. And that's what I think the Thunder need. Because at the moment on their bench, they've got a lot of young guys that are undeveloped. Your Stephen Adams, your Perry Jones, your Roberson. These are people that aren't going to step up in the big moments while you need someone that has the experience of coming out and step, stepping up. Karan Butler and Derek Fisher aren't the... 
I don't really think that they were the answer for that. But I'm I'm trying to think of names that may be out there this year in the off season. But they do need someone that can either not just necessarily three point shooters, but someone that can do a role. Either if that is run an offense, an old veteran that can run an offense, a pass first point guard. Derek Fisher's not really a pass first, pass first point guard. He normally sits in the corner, waits for the ball for an open three. But if they can get like a pass for, a veteran pass first. Uh, point guard who can run the team if they can get a good veteran leadership on the defensive end and maybe hit hit some timey threes then I think that's what they need really because their core is great it's just the people around them that they need to improve on yeah and it's you know we come back to those, those sort of players that, that you think of that um, Oklahoma had and got rid of you know we're, we're talking Harden here I would even go so far as to put Nate Robinson in that category as well. You know, why, why they would get rid of a player like that? And it could potentially be that they see a lot of um, potential in, in the young bench players, but potential doesn't win you a championship now. And are they going to have the same players and the same opportunity in two or three seasons' time when that potential is nurtured? And even if it does come to fruition, you know, it's a bit of a gamble. They, they need to have players now and they need to be making trades in this off season now. Yeah. Veterans tend to win you championships. They win game, they win one, one or two games in finals, like we saw last year and years before that with the Lakers, our test doing that. Eddie House, I'll go even go Eddie House and PJ, PJ Brown for the Celtics and James Posey, just veterans that they want, and they're more thirsty as well because they need, they know they need, this could be their last shot of a ring. When I got to the lane, Robert Parrish jumped at me and I saw Larry Bird coming at me as well. So I had to arc the hook shot a little higher and you just went, swish. Was that the sweetest shot for you in your whole career? In my whole career, the sweetest, not only shot, but the sweetest moment because the guard went, (laughs) he did it to us again. But anyway, we'll get talking about rings, and we won't talk about Lord of the Rings, which I'm sure Andy probably would love to. But uh, <laughs> the finals—it's the rematch from last year. I think this is this is what I wanted. This is this is the final that I wanted. I wanted a rematch from last year. We've got the Spurs going against the Heat. This time, the Spurs have the home court advantage, but it is changed. We—it's the first time in ages that, well, in like 30 years or whatever, that the that the like the rotation of the games has changed. It's two at home. For each team, so that's up to game four. Then game five and game six and game seven is alternate between one games. There's no free games at home for the lower seeded teams, which I don't think will. F- I think that will favor the. I think that favors the Heat a bit more. But the, the rotation of the games does. But I think when you get to the finals, it doesn't have that big an impact anymore. To be perfectly honest, and I, and I say that after you know watching the Spurs struggle against Oklahoma in Oklahoma. Um, and that's, that's not to say they're not going to be doing the same when it goes to Miami. It, it just means that all they need is one, one away win. Yeah. But on, on the other side of that conversation, the, the Heat haven't lost at home yet in the playoffs. No. The Spurs, granted, have only lost once at home. So it, it could have more of an impact, but I, I think at this time of the season with these two teams, they, they know each other so well. I don't think the crowd is going to play that big an impact. I could be proven completely <laughs> wrong here, but I, I, I just don't think it will be. And, and Miami, to be perfectly honest, they don't have the best fans in the world anyway, so um, is, is that much of an advantage for them? 
I, I can't believe you're earlier saying that when Game 6 and Game 7 happened as a Spurs fan, but I understand what you're saying. And yeah, I don't really think... I I only think that really happens. It really, I hope... I only think it will be on to the Spurs' advantage because, as, as you said, the AT&T Centre can go bonkers. While the Heat, they'll only really cheer when they're winning. They couldn't really like urge the team to come back from a deficit. But we'll talk about matchups and stuff. It's pretty much the same as last year. The biggest key point I'm going into this, I picked the Spurs at the start of the playoffs, and I think they will win this series, is that uh, the basis of it, the, the Heat haven't... I think they're worse than last year, while I think the Spurs are better when, as I said before, Mike Miller's gone, Shane Battier, Ray Allen a lot older, LeBron obviously still the best player in the world, blah blah but then I think the Spurs have got better by players like Thiago Spur. He's not a joke anymore. Like he's pretty much lived up to that contract. And mm. uh Kawhi Leonard, Pai Mills, just great improvement, especially Kawhi Leonard. He's been fantastic this year, especially in the playoffs. I think that's the basis of this and that's why I'm predicting that the Spurs will win just off them two reasons. I I you know, as much as my my heart says it's agreeing with you, my head is also agreeing with you on this one because I I can see this being the Spurs in in six. I don't think it's going to go to a game seven. I think they would have learned from last season. But then, as you've already mentioned, the players have developed and the players have come on a lot more this season than they did the previous one. And it's not just going to be down to the the two big threes. It I think this really will be won by the benches and the rest of the squads and, and how they rotate. Now, you can't take away anything from LeBron. He is the best player on the planet. He's the best player on the planet for a reason. He can take over a game. But whether or not the, the, the Spurs have enough to keep him quiet and then effectively manage the rest of the team and manage the distribution, it, it's going to come down to the, the key players for the Spurs being fit, but then also playing at the top of the game. You know, we, we've seen them shoot 70%. From that perspective, that doesn't happen very often, but the Spurs are very consistent at, at having good wide open looks and just having effective shots at the basket. So as long as they can keep that going, then I, I'm, I'm confident that we're going to see the Spurs win and be champions in six. Yeah, I, I, I hope so as well, because I will be rooting for the Spurs, not just because I picked them, because I just, I just, I, I love like the whole, it's just like, it's very military rant, which Pop obviously has a military background, like it's, no one really steps out of line, like you can't rattle them, they're very focused on their goal. And another main thing, this going into this series is manager Nobly. Last year in the finals, he stunk it up quite a few games. He did have some good games, but he also stunk it up. But this yeah. year, I think he's been absolutely phenomenal. For his age, he's pretty much... I, I read a... There was an article on SB Nation about... On the Pound in the Rock, the Spurs site, which was like previewing the big three. And this and the one I read was on Ginobili. And his per 36 minutes are like better than his career averages. Like his shooting's up. His scoring's up. His assists and his assists are up, and I think he's definitely going to be the X factor for the for the uh, for the Spurs, and I think Chris Bosh will be the the X factor for the uh, he or from previous mentioned reasons for the for Bosch. But Ginobili, he's not going. I don't think he's going to stink up like he did last year. I think he's going to be pretty damn good this year, just from what we've seen so far. Yeah, he he certainly has been effective at the minute, and he's he leads that bench charge 
Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised, though, to see him start in one or two games just as Pop gets the rotation underway and, and tries to, to play those sort of mind games and, and those tactical games against Volstra. So you're right that there's going to be a lot of a lot of key questions being asked of Ginobili. Hopefully he doesn't choke like he did last year. Uh, I think I think he'll be hungry for it. He'll have that drive and that determination to get him through. He certainly has shown the way that he's playing at the minute that he's ready for it. It just depends on how Miami are going to guard him. You know, are they are they going to stick with zone? Are they going to go man to man? It's it's going to be a difficult one to pick. And I I would like to think that the first game is going to be quite a cagey affair as each team tries to suss each other out. And and it probably won't take off until the, the second half or maybe even the second game when we start seeing the, those sort of tactics and those mind games coming into it. But then I could be proven completely wrong and LeBron goes into freight train mode and scores 40 points in the first game. <laughs> so you just don't know what you're going to get. And I'm, I'm excited. Do I want revenge? Yes, but I, I, would, I would rather see the, the Spurs slow it down and play good, Spurs basketball as opposed to trying to beat the Miami Heat at their game because they don't have the the pace anymore. They don't have the athleticism anymore to play Miami at their own game. Spurs need to make Miami play Spurs basketball. Yeah, and that's especially exactly what they're going to do because I think in the uh, I think they've also got a big advantage as always noted in the paint with the big man Tim Duncan, Thiago Splitter, and Boris Diaw to some extent. I think they they'll. They'll pound it down low against Bosch and Anderson, really, because after Anderson and Bosch, the the big men for the Heat's pretty lacking. Haslam was poor for the against the Pacers, but I think it, it it looks to me like we will be completely wrong when I say this, but it looks to me that the Spurs have an advantage pretty much everywhere apart from on LeBron and maybe Wade and Bosch stretching the floor. But I just think in every other aspect they are they are the clear cut. Favorites, they have the advantages when it's bench and everything, but that's what that's. I'm too scared to actually go out on a limb and say that will happen because LeBron, LeBron will just prove me wrong by, as you say, scoring 40 in the first for the first in the first game. But they always say that the best player on the on the court is probably most likely to win the series, so that's how probably LeBron can do us both in from what we've predicted, but. He has the skills to to be able to determine the outcome. You know, there are very few individuals that you know. He he is as um, as we've heard of, of late. He is the Michael Jordan of this era and the Heat of the Bulls of this era. So on any given night, they they can be as dominant as they want and what they choose to be. It you have mentioned that you know the Spurs statistically, um, as you look at it from from paper outweigh the heat in a lot more areas than, than Miami do vice versa. But it's, it's whatever turns up on, on any given night that's going to make that difference. And I want to be bold and say, but it's even though I'm a Spurs fan, it's excited and unpredictable to be able to see what's going on. I, I didn't think it was possible to see LeBron having a single digits game anymore. <laughs> but yet, you know, these things happen. So he, he could have another. I, I doubt it. But, you know, he could. And, and, and vice versa. You know, we, we've seen Tony Parker in, in, in two games be very efficient and very cutting going through the paint and driving the lane. But then a couple of games later, he, he's not effective. The, those shots he was making, he's missing. 
And it, it just goes to show you, as much as anybody it is playing that sort of offensive mindset of, of getting to the paint, having those easy shots, they're, they're not guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed. No, that's very right. And uh, we'll we'll end this. We'll end the uh, the finals preview by this question that we got in from Andrew, who at Twitter is at Humble Heroics. This is a very good question, actually. So thank you for that. And you can always get involved. You can tweet us at uh, Double Clutch UK or use hashtag NBA in the UK. I expect quite a lot for the finals because they all are on BT Sport, I should mention. So there's no excuse for anyone really not to be watching it or DVR in it and watching it in the morning. But the question is going to say, because it's going to be <laughs> late, I'm going to try and stay up for game one. But yeah. We'll see how that goes. I, I will be as well because I've got, I've got the whole weekend off. So I'm going to stay up and watch game one. Uh, but anyway, the question is, aside from the big three on both teams, who is the one player you think both teams need to have a big series? I'll give that to you first, Andrew. Andrew. <laughs> Andrew? Oh, <laughs> remind me to pitch that. <laughs> Goodness me. Um, it, it needs to be Ginobili for us. We, we've, we've already touched on it and already mentioned it. Would you put uh, Leonard in the big three? Would you call that Leonard was in the big three for the Spurs now? Um, he's, I, I would say that when we're looking at players, you know, I wouldn't say that Spurs have a have a big three. You know, we always joke about it because that's what gets conferred. Uh, you know, out, out of Miami, Miami doesn't start right. So I think that from that perspective, it would mean that you know you would need to consider bench players for other teams and, and whatnot yeah. when, when you're trying to look at their, their their big players. Yes, he's he's a big franchise player, but he's not a star. So maybe that would be my argument as to why it would be Manu. Out with Manu, if we're going to put him in the big three category, um, I'm going to go with a start, and I'm going to go with Leonard. He needs to have a big series. Yeah, that's definitely mine, because his key key uh, task really is to stop LeBron. So I don't really I don't really care if he has four points, but as long as he can keep LeBron under like 30, then I think that's a job done, really, for him. Uh, and well, the, thing, the good thing with that, though, is LeBron and Leonard were both on the defensive team of the year. Yeah. So we know they're good defenders. Um, and we know they're good on the offensive end. So I think there's going to be a very interesting matchup. Uh-huh. Um, there's, there's going to be a lot of key matchups. I, I don't know who, who Miami is going to put on Ginobili when they put the rotation in off the bench. And, and that's why I think, you know, coming back to what I mentioned earlier in the show, that I, I can see Manu starting a couple of games. Yeah. You know, yeah. just, just to, to change that mindset as to, right, Miami are going to start with, um, Chalmers, uh, maybe Allen, potentially, yeah. uh, then, then with the three, whereas Pop, out with Parker and Duncan when they're fit, you don't really know yeah. who's going to be starting. Yeah. Uh, I think probably for Heat, the outside the big three, I think it's either one of their point guards. I think it's either Norris Cole or Mario Chalmers. Mario Chalmers will get loads of open shots like he did last year because obviously the main focus is on LeBron Wade and Bosch. And then, as going back to what you said, if it is Norris Cole, then that is someone, that's bench production. That's pure bench production. If he can get going, if he can score 15 off the bench, 20 off the bench, I think he's probably the, the player outside the big three from the heat that needs to have a big game, either one of Chalmers or Cole, really, for me. You're right. I, I couldn't really pick from, from the heat. You, you know, you need to have, you need to have someone there. And I, I reckon that if, if they're going to win it, they need Allen. To have a good series because he hasn't been effective in this playoffs at all. He's he's been very hit and miss. He's he's not looked the sort of sharpshooter that 
we're, we're keen and, and used to seeing. As soon as he gets that ball, he's got that quick release, and normally it's all automatic to go in, and that hasn't been there, so he definitely needs to step it up. Right, well, that was uh, Double Clutch's uh, NBA Finals preview. Hopefully we'll be getting uh, shows after every single game, so we maybe not the next maybe not the next day, but maybe then the day after that. But we'll definitely try and get a show in between every game, so we can break down all the adjustments, all all the game caps. But thanks for listening. You can follow me at Bates ninety ninety one on Twitter. No one does, so I don't know why I always say it. You can follow Andy at Big Andy D. That's B I G A N D I D. And thank you for listening. Goodbye. We believe we can win multiple championships if we do it the right way. NBA Finals begin Thursday at 9 on ABC. Yeah, I don't know why I give... No one follows me on Twitter. I don't know why I give it out.